1: Hi, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Whether you're watching a video or listening to a podcast version, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. Links to videos or mp3 files can be found at miamighostchronicles.com. You can also find information about my talk show appearances and any new book projects at marlenepardo.com. Or go to Amazon and look up my author profile as Marlene pardo I narrate several podcast series that can be found on major podcast platforms and also listen to via Alexa, Sonos, and other home systems. Look for Supernatural Storytime for Scary Storytelling, Nightshade Diary for Classic Horror and Adventure Stories, and of course, Stories of the Supernatural for Interviews with different guests as we talk about the Mysteries of the Unexplained. If you want to get noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime, conspiracy theories, and just about anything that is plain weird, you can visit Strange Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com. I want to thank you for being part of my audience, and I think you are all wonderful. Beast of the Underground The no-man's-land of the underground has always fascinated and terrified mankind. Most of the time, when people are consumed by their daily errands, they do not give it much thought. Some places are created by the earth itself, such as caves and sinkholes, but others were purposely made by people to enhance their daily existence. Tunnels, subways, and sewer systems are some of these. However, in these places where sunlight seldomly invades, many of the sightings of things that exist here inspire the utmost horror these are places that create innumerable tales of strange creatures but are all these stories just the products of vivid imaginations the lizard people of los angeles in january 1934 the los angeles times printed an article detailing where a geophysical mining engineer, G. Warren schufelt sunk a shaft under Fort Moore Hill in an attempt to find the lizard people and their priceless treasures. He believed that a maze of catacombs were beneath Los Angeles, and the shaft was sunk 250 feet into what was then known as the old Banning property on North Hill Street, overlooking Sunset Boulevard, Spring Street, and North Broadway. He hoped to dig the shaft down A 1,000 feet. He visited Little Chief Greenleaf, also known as Mr. L. Macklin, of the Medicine Lodge of the Hopi Indians in Arizona. He told Schufeld the tunnels he located were part of three lost cities on the Pacific coast. The one in L.A. was dug by the lizard people approximately 5,000 years before, after a great catastrophe described as a huge tongue of fire which came out of the southwest destroying all life in its path. The tunnels were a means of escape. The lizard people used chemicals instead of shovels to dig the tunnels, which started at the coast and were made to drain into the ocean. The motion of the tides provided ventilation into the shafts. Large rooms located in the domes of the hills above the city provided housing for more than 1,000 families. They also stored herbs in the catacombs as food. These people regarded the lizard as a symbol of long life, and they fashioned their city into this form. The tale is to the southwest, below Fifth and Hope Streets, its head to the northeast, at Lookout and Marta Streets. The most important place is a room directly under South Broadway, near Second Street. Here they kept tablets documenting history, including that of the Mayans. And another tablet records the origins of the human race, Shufelt said that he had taken pictures of 37 of these tablets with his radio x-ray machine. Macklin said the lizard people were more intelligent than modern humans. Shufelt's pursuit of the proof of the lizard people perhaps brought a stint of bad luck to his personal life. In November 1935, his wife Mildred died from the effects of drinking an indigestion remedy made from fluoride-contaminated soda. In total, three persons died and another 20 became ill from the poisoning. Perhaps because of this event, Shufelt and his two partners gave up on locating the catacombs, stating that they were probably deeper than they originally anticipated. Another attempt was made in 1938 by Frank Carlson, who requested a permit to dig 15 feet where he expected to find gold and silver nuggets. He agreed to give the county 25% of what he found. He didn't have any better luck than Shufelt. Another story is that Bouillon was buried in this place. It was brought down from Northern California by a George Whiteman during the gold rush days. He was a soldier who became a wagon train operator. Instead of digging for gold, he got into the business of transporting food, which the miners paid for in the form of gold nuggets. During those days, the safest place to keep to the treasure was in the ground. Some say he buried it at Fort Moore Hill. Others claim he had exchanged the nuggets for Spanish coins. White man never took anyone into his confidence, and he died with a secret. Another story involves a cache of Spanish doubloons hidden near the entrance of the Hollywood Bowl, with a whispered curse of a violent death for anyone who haunts it or has anything to do with it. Alligators in the sewers. Sewers have many strange things in them, but none stranger than alligators which are said to roam New York City's. These stories go far back into the 1930s, when families bought baby alligators and then flushed them down the toilet or released them into the sewer system when they got too big to care for them. These animals ate trash and rats, survived and grew. Throughout the years, sewer workers told of coming across alligators. Some were described as albinos or mutants, with a weird coloring and larger than normal size. Robert Daly, the author of The World Beneath the City, written in 1959, had a chapter dedicated to these sightings. He interviewed Teddy May, commissioner of sewers in New York. According to May, sightings of alligators dated back to 1935. So many reports from workers came to his desk that he personally inspected the sewers and was surprised to come across these creatures which averaged two feet in length. By 1937, they were cleaned out after an effort was made to poison or kill them. In February of 1935, an article appeared in the Brooklyn Daily's Eagle where little boys found an eight-foot alligator in a Manhattan sewer. It was under a snow-stuffed manhole. It died and was cremated at the Barren Island incinerator. No explanation was made how it had ended up at this place. More recently, another sighting was made. In 2010, an alligator measuring 2 feet long was found under a carnier sewer opening at Newton Avenue and 29th Street in the heart of Queens, New York. Surrounded by startled onlookers, an emergency service unit used a long pole and a noose to corral the creature into a cage and capture it. The animal was handed over to city animal care and control officers who sent it to a wildlife sanctuary. And perhaps an ominous addition to the story, in the wake of the baby alligator's capture, animal care and control spokesman richard gentles stated that between two to four alligators or crocodiles are rescued in the city by his agency every year it is not known how many of these statistical alligators were recovered from sewers on july 22nd 2013 a live eight foot long alligator was pulled from a sewer near central park the alligator had allegedly long been preying on dogs which prompted a hunt for its culminating and its capture. The alligator was killed, and an analysis of its stomach contents revealed the remains of at least two dogs, some rats, and a wristwatch, fortunately with no hands still attached to it. The latest one dates to 2017. A 45-inch alligator was captured in upstate New York near Whitney Point, where the river crosses beneath Interstate 81. A week before a slightly smaller one was captured a quarter mile downstream both of them were taken to animal adventure park in harpersville whether the reports of mutant albino gators existing in the sewers of new york is true or not there is evidence that regular ones have flourished in the dank tunnels beneath the city for many many years sewer zombies in 2008 the daily mail reported where crews at Southern Waters Treatment Plant in Eastbourne, East Sussex, claimed to see a humanoid figure that followed them around in the underground tunnels. There were so many reports that they hired a parapsychologist, Michael Kingscoat, who was also a clairvoyant who found areas where he sensed unusual activity took place, and it coincided where workers felt uneasy. There are also reports of voices being heard in the distant reaches of the tunnels. Another worker said, I believe in ghosts, and I'm sure there's something in there. I dread doing the night shift. Is this creature real, or just a lost soul haunting the place where perhaps it met its end? Creature in the Mine In 1875, a silver-bearing mine called the Little Emma, about six miles southeast from Milena, was believed to be haunted. A 125-foot shaft was sunk on the load, with several tunnels running along it. Twelve miners were working on it both day and night. A water-filled shaft was regularly emptied out by a horse-driven pump. One night, a beam fell on the horse and killed it. The next night, at the breast of the tunnel, about 70 feet from the shaft, the workers heard an unearthly voice. The sound echoed around them. They were so fearful they went to the shaft, and even a man at the top had heard the weird yelling, and asked the group at the bottom what was causing it. There were an hour shy of quitting time, so they went back to work. However, they were so unnerved, they left two lookouts to keep an eye out through the gloom of the drift. Every now and then the call would be repeated, starting out loud and piercing and dying out with a wail. The following days and nights the calls were repeated. The miners were so convinced the tunnels were haunted that some of them proposed to quit and return to Helena. None could explain how the death of the horse triggered a creature that moaned incessantly in the bowels of the earth. Was it a ghost, a hobgoblin, or a malevolent tommy knocker? The Van Meter Bat Creature In 1903, a small Iowa town reported an encounter with a strange monster. It was described as a bat-like creature that came out of an abandoned mine. The sighting had several witnesses, including many of the town's well-respected citizens, which described it as half-human, with enormous bat wings flying about. Its presence was announced by a disagreeable stink. It traveled at high speed, and a blinding light shot from its horned head. The citizens of Van Meter shot at the creature as it flew across building tops, but with no effect. The town doctor and Peter Dunn, a bank worker, saw it, and took a plaster cast of its great three-toed track. The third night, it perched on top of a telephone pole. Residents said it hopped about, and a school teacher described it as a devil. The townsfolk decided to follow it into an abandoned coal mine near a brickyard, where they heard strange noises. On October 3, 1903, the Des Moines Daily News reported, Presently, the noise opened up again as though Satan and a regiment of imps were coming forth for battle. Just when the town thought it couldn't get any worse, the back creature appeared with a smaller one next to it. Both flew away but returned in the morning. The men of the town were armed and ready to kill them, but this was the last scene of these creatures as they returned back into the shaft of the old mine. Despite the passage of time over a hundred years, the residents of Van Meter still passed down the story of the strange creature sighted into their town, and which remains... A great mystery. Another report of a strange sewer-dwelling humanoid comes from an article by Michael Burke entitled Green Things Sparks Rumors in the New Valley Dispatch dated March 5th 1981. The article describes a harrowing account of a small four-foot tall humanoid creature said to look like something half human and half dinosaur. Which was seen emerging from a sewer in New Kensington, Pennsylvania. A group of youth allegedly chased the creature and one even managed to grab the thing's tail, upon which it let out a screeching cry, prompting the startled boy to let go. The dinosauroid humanoid then reportedly slipped away back into a sewer tunnel. Interestingly, the incident took place near Dixonville, Pennsylvania, where several miners were allegedly killed or went missing in 1944 due to an alleged alien creature said to be lurking in one of the mine shafts there. The mysterious monster was said to lurk in the darkness and snatch away hapless, unsuspecting miners. Whether this rather spooky story has any connection with the case of the Saurian humanoid or not, it is still a bizarre account in its own right. The Black Swine of London In the 1800s, a bizarre story circulated around London that the sewers of Hampstead were home to a population of strange black pigs said to roam about in the filthy, slimy darkness. The story goes that a pregnant sow somehow made its way down into the sewers through a drain or some other opening where it got lost and subsisted on the constant influx of offal and garbage. The sow subsequently gave birth to and reared its young in the sewer, and it is alleged that the pigs multiplied there. It is said that the black pigs of the sewers became numerous and were known for their aggressiveness and ferocity. Throughout the 19th century, reports of sightings of very large black pigs lurking in the sewers propagated the story to the point that it became somewhat akin to London's own version of alligators in the sewers of New York. There were various accounts of the black swine of Hampstead, and a good number of Londoners at the time believed the creatures were down there. The Daily Telegraph dated October tenth, eighteen 1859, made mention of the sewer-dwelling black swine in an editorial which said, This London is an amalgam of worlds within worlds, and the occurrences of every day convince us that there is not one of these worlds, but has its special mysteries and its generic crimes. Exaggeration and ridicule often attach to the vastness of London, and the ignorance of its penetralia come to us with all who dwell therein. It has been said that beasts of chase still roam in the verdant vastness of Grosvenor square, that there are undiscovered patches of primeval forest in Hyde Park, and that Hampstead sewers shelter a monstrous breed of plaqued swine, which have propagated and run wild among the slimy feculents, and whose ferocious snouts will one day uproot Highgate Archway, while they make Holloway intolerable with their gunting. With the coming of the twentieth century, Stories of the black swine of London sewers faded into obscurity. It is now considered to be mostly a largely forgotten urban legend. Yet, it is still intriguing to think about whether these stories had their foundation in some grain of truth, as is often the case with many such supposed myths. The Sewer Monsters of North Carolina In April 2009, the company Malfour's Construction sent a surveillance camera into the sewer system beneath Cameron Village, North Carolina, in order to examine the infrastructure of the pipes. During their investigation, the camera came across something that no one had ever expected to encounter down there, slimy pulsating blobs attached to the wall, which appeared to be living organisms of some kind. The weird blobs were even seen to visibly react to the light of the camera, seeming to flinch and draw away from it. The story immediately became a sensation, and the bizarre creatures were nicknamed the Cameron Village Sewer Blob. New stories ran with it, and video footage of the grotesque blobs captured by the camera became insanely popular on YouTube. The internet was awash in discussion and debate as to the nature of the creatures, with theories ranging from some kind of undiscovered animal, to mutant monsters, to aliens from another world, At first, it was speculated that the footage was even a hoax. But Raleigh Public Works issued a statement officially acknowledging that indeed the footage was very real. Scientists at the time were just as stumped as everyone else. No one had ever really seen anything quite like it, and biologists for Raleigh Public Utilities were at a loss to explain what the organisms were. Ed Buchan, the environmental coordinator at the Raleigh Public Utilities Department, at first claimed that he had never seen anything like it in all of his time with the department. For a time, the mysterious, slimy blob phenomenon of Cameron Village was a total enigma. Gradually, scientific theories about what could realistically be responsible for what was caught on the sewer camera started to emerge. One of the first such theories was that the blobs represented a colony of Brazoans, which are small animals that stick out tentacles to feed and retreat into small tubes when disturbed. Other biologists disagreed with the Brazoan theory. Dr. Timothy Wood, a Brazoan expert with the Department of Biological Sciences at Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio, firmly denied that Brazoans could be the culprit, stating, no, these are not Brazoans. They are clumps of annelid worms, almost certainly tubificids. Normally, these occur in soil and sediment especially at the bottom and edges of polluted streams. In the photo, they have apparently entered a pipeline somehow. and the absence of soil, they are coiling around each other. The contractions you see are the results of a single worm contracting and then stimulating all the others to do the same almost simultaneously so it looks like a single big muscle contracting. Yet another theory described the mystery creature as being a colony of effects worms which can occur in pond sediment and also sewage when they work their way into the pipes. Since tube effects worms will flinch from bright light, it is thought that these could explain the reaction of the creatures in the footage to the camera light. Other investigators have disagreed with the tube effects worm theory, due to several apparent problems with this explanation. It is pointed out that there is not a single individual worm to be seen on or around any of the three objects in the video, Instead, the creatures appear to be smooth, complete cysts or sacs that move and throb or pulsate as a complete entity rather than a loose mass of worms. What is this strange creature? It appears that for all of the ideas put forth about what the real explanation is for the North Carolina sewer monster, the story is still somewhat of a mystery, and no single explanation has totally satisfied everyone. Giant Rats Several reports from Tehran, Iran have described supersized rats emerging from the sewers to roam the streets, with some specimens claimed to be up to 11 pounds. It has been speculated that winter snows raise the water levels of the sewers and flush the creatures out. Not only are the rats huge, but they also allegedly exhibit unusual physical characteristics. Tehran City Council Environment Advisor Ismail Karam told an Iranian website that the rats seem to be mutated, possibly from chemicals in the sewers. Karam said of the rats, they are now bigger and look different. These are changes that normally take millions of years of evolution. They have jumped from 60 grams to 5 kilos, and cats are now smaller than them. According to an article in the Huffington Post from April 3, 2013, a Dr. David Baker, laboratory animal veterinarian at LSU, told them that he doubted the Tehran rats were some kind of mutants, and studies suggested that even common types of rat can reach ridiculously large sizes under the right circumstances, and that there are various types of giant rats around the world, Baker added. During the Middle Ages, black rats in Europe reportedly grew large enough, and children were small enough to carry off babies those had to have been some big rats. The rats in Tehran are reportedly so large that they have locals in a panic. In response to this, it's been reported that Tehran has actually hired teams of men armed with sniper rifles with infrared scopes to hunt down and exterminate the rodents. Whether the rats are mutated monsters or not, it nevertheless seems that Tehran has quite a rat problem. Giant Spiders Tokyo already has its share of giant sewer animals in the form of the giant rats that are said to inhabit various underground passages beneath the city. However, enormous rats might not be the only spooky creature to lurk in Tokyo's sewers. In the 1970s, Tokyo utility workers came across a rather bizarre find along one sewer tunnel. While walking through one area, one of the workers felt his foot brush up against something unusual. Upon feeling at his leg to see what it was, his hand came away covered in thick spider webs, much to his surprise and horror. Upon illuminating and investigating the site, workers described seeing a vast web that hugged the ground and covered an area of several square meters. The web was littered with the numerous desiccated corpses of cockroaches as well as full-grown rats. Further investigation revealed a tunnel-like opening Within a pile of refuse in the corner of the tunnel that allegedly measured at least 10 inches in diameter the actual occupant of the web was never seen and the perhaps understandably shaken workers did not intend to stick around to see it either instead opting to leave the account seems to describe perhaps the web of some sort of funnel web spider although apparently much larger than any currently known to exist It would be interesting to know if the report is to be believed and just how big the mysterious spider of this Reb truly was. Humans always suspect strange things lurk in the darkness, but there is no gloom more impenetrable than that found underground. Is it any wonder that monsters or never-before-seen beings call tunnels, sewers, and caves their homes? What else exists underneath our feet? as we go about our daily lives and these are some stories about strange encounters my grandfather told me a story once as we sat around a campfire in his backyard in the cool night of the arizona desert the horizon was clear and each star twinkled in a purple sky with a full fat moon hanging low over the mountains his voice was rasping, gravelly, the result of a lifetime of smoking cigars and drinking whiskey. The fire danced and shined across his wide, dark eyes as he settled into his seat, ready to tell his story. Way back when I was a boy, about your age, he began. I lived outside an Apache reservation with your great-grandfather. He had returned from the war and set about raising horses and cattle on a hundred-acre ranch settled between a Bramley mountainside with dirt good for growing, thornbrush and not much else. One night my mother was sick, and Pa and I took a trip into town, about fifty miles away, straight through a dry desert, over a washed-out creek and some old, abandoned farmsteads. The fire sparked, and a log cracked, jolting me out of the story. What next, I asked. Settle down, boy, you'll hear soon enough. Pa and I were driving in an old Ford pickup truck. I remember it was dark out, inky and thick, with only the lights of our old truck lighting up the road. I remember, too, when the engine began to sputter and the truck slowed to a jerky stop. God damn it, Pa said, guiding the Ford to the side of the road as it coasted to a halt. Stay here, son, as he stepped out into the darkness, shutting the door with a heavy thud. My window was down, and the cool desert air was breezy and felt good on my hot face and neck. Pa was getting water from the back to cool the engine, and that's when I smelled it. Rotten eggs. Strange, I thought, to smell sulfur in the desert. My nose also picked up carrion, like one of them dead bloated cattle that would drop from the heat and lay there until the crows pecked enough holes in their hide to cause the whole thing to explode. It stunk, and I gagged. My skin started to tingle too, the back of my neck felt itchy, and my face started to get hot. The wind stopped blowing and hung still and heavy, with a stink filling the cab. Pa, I called, pa, pa, no answer. My heart started beating, and I felt such a fear in me, in my bones, in my chest. Boy, I tell you, I never felt fear like this. Not until Vietnam, not until I saw men dying around me. I locked the door and reached over from my pa's door and saw a shadow bound across the road through both dim beams of light across a partly open domed hood. Grandfather paused. He spit a fat wad of tobacco spit off to his side, and he looked pensively into the darkness i realized i was holding my breath and gasped for air the night was cool but i was sweating and clammy well what happened what about your father what did you see he sighed a creature he shook his head you have to understand there were legends old legends older than the rock cairns on the valley older still than crazy horse and sitting bull than the old indian chiefs and the shamans the apache and Hopi, and Cherokee, and all of them old tribes and first peoples, they told tales old stories about dark Indian magic, a deal made with the old spirits, of blood sacrifice to gain power, old power, enough to fight each other, and the Spaniards, and later the white men that came for their land and women. They called them. He paused. Grandfather took a deep breath, and bodied forward into his tail across the fire and the sky the desert the creek the moon the sun and old mountains he bodied forward they called them skin walkers shape changers old warriors resurrected as skinless men all sinew muscle walking on deer legs with the torso of a man and the head of a coyote but messed up boy long and malformed snouts teeth like a bowie knife long arms, and standing seven feet, even hunched over. They'd gut the old cowboys and white riders. They'd run through bullets and sabers, part the Spanish armor like it was a potato sack. Wily, too, they could change their voice to match a person you knew or might know. Boy, that's what I saw. Big and fast. Only for a second, it ran across the road. Gray and mottled, muscles flexing, under its legs, hooves clomping on the road. Stringing muscle on shoulders and it turned. Looked right into the cab, looked right into my eyes and I swear, boy, I swear it grinned at me. I sank into my seat in shock. In fear, shaking, I knew death was near. The air was electric, I smelled ozone and brimstone. The air felt like right before the lightning comes and blows a tree to smithereens charged and full with power. I yelled for my paw, but no words came out, just a dry squeak. I was shaking as grandfather told his story. He was still here, so I know he lived. But the supernatural always fascinated me, and even now, I felt the force of his words. The real power of skinwalkers was trickery. Sure, they could change their voices, but also their skin. That's why the gods took their hide, so they could take others, not for long, the legend says, maybe an hour, before the soulless skin they wore would come looking for their mortal shell before going to whatever hell awaited them. Though I think that getting skinned alive was hell enough. A I minute mean, passed, and what felt like a lifetime, one second in 1,000 years. My father's door opened, and I jerked my head to the left, putting up my fist to fend off an attack. Son, it's me, my father said, before climbing into the cab. He grasped the steering wheel and pulled himself in awkwardly, jerking himself into the seat. I cringed into the corner. I looked at him. I looked hard. Boy, your great-grandfather was a good man. Treated me and my ma right. He fought the Nazis and saw the worst of men in Poland when he freed all of them camps, and now was taking his measure. Is this my father? Do I make a run or do I die? Is it him or not? Let's go get that medicine for your ma as he pulled the truck into gear and pulled it out onto the road and our trip resumed. I guess it was him after all. But how did you know? Was it because he said something about your mom? Oh boy, I knew. Because out the window, out the corner of my eye, I seen that beast running 50 miles an hour right next to the car looking at me with them yellow eyes and grinning mouth. I looked and saw it, hunched and angry, running next to us. Boy. My pa kept his eyes in the road, locked straight forward. Sonny said, don't look at it. Don't look at it. That's how I knew boy. Another story. All right. Now this is a story I haven't told in a long time. It happened to me October, six years ago. I've told four or five people since then, and none of them believed me. I decided to stop talking about it when someone filed an anonymous tip to my school psychologist. That was four years ago. I've had a lot of time to think about it since then, and I think I'm finally ready to talk about my story. It's about a weekend I spent in the Wichita National Forest. I've been planning the trip for weeks, Made sure I had got the weekend off work. Didn't make any plans. All of that. Started buying supplies a week before I went. I was going to go camping in the forest near my town. I had been camping before, when I was a little kid with my parents, but never as an adult, never by myself. And never in this forest. I was excited. Now, I'm not an idiot. I took all the necessary precautions. I told a few of my friends where I was going, when I was going to be there, and when I'll be back. I told him if I go missing to call the cops and all that. I brought an extra phone battery and enough food and water to last me at least a week. I even brought along the 9mm that my dad gave me when I turned 18. Never shot the damn thing, but I figured it would at least scare off whatever the hell wanted to mess with me. I'm telling you all of this so you know that I'm not just some dumb kid who decided he wanted to take a trip to the forest one day and shit his pants because he saw a bear. No, I knew what I was getting into. I was prepared, just not for, well, this. Okay, enough backstory. I'll get on with it. I left around six in the morning. It's an hour drive from my place, so I was expecting to get there around seven. Ended getting there at 7.30, but I didn't mind. It was a lovely day, not a cloud in the sky. Great weather. Camping in the cold and rain is miserable, so I was pretty content with my arrival time. I parked my car a ways from the forest in a little clearing off the side of the road where I knew I would find it. I gathered my things, had a little snack, and headed off toward the forest. I made my way well into the forest, set up camp, and started enjoying myself. Cooked lunch on the crummy campfire I made around noon, watched a pair of birds dancing at each other. I even took a few pictures of some deer I saw with my phone. Couldn't get a good shot, but at least it was proof that I was there. But something seemed off. You see, forests are normally kinda loud. Not like a city loud, but there's this constant background noise that is always going on. Rustling in bushes and leaves, birds chirping and animals prancing around. When I first got into the forest, that was all well and good. But the later it got, the sounds just started to go away. Not all at once, it took the better part of the day for me to notice, but yeah, the sound slowly went away. Birds stopped chirping, bushes stopped rustling, I stopped seeing animals too. That's what made me notice. At around 4 in the afternoon I realized that I hadn't seen a bird in a while. That unsettled me, truth be told, but I stilled myself and kept enjoying this day. I was feeling kind of lonely, but with all the quiet and all, so I called up a friend and chatted with him till sundown. After that I realized it was getting late so I hung up, ate again, and put out the fire. After a final assessment of my surroundings, a look at the wondrous night sky, I crawled into my tent to sleep. I kept a 9 millimeter loaded right next to me where I slept. Just in case, you know. Sleeping on the cold ground in the middle of a forest isn't that easy if you aren't used to it. And considering I hadn't done it since I was a child, I was having a little trouble. It was probably just a rough estimate two hours after I had lain down that I started hearing something in nature again. Now, If I had heard bushes rustling a few hours earlier, this would have been cause for celebration. But even the most experienced outdoorsman would get creeped out if it was the only thing he'd heard all night. So I did what any rational human would have done and clung the 9mm like it was the only thing keeping me from falling off a cliff. There was silence for a few minutes. The only thing I could hear was my own shaky breath and prancing. Patatum, patatum, patatum. Four footsteps in quick succession. No crunching of leaves or snapping of twigs, just the steady beat. It was getting closer, closer to my tent. I tried to peer through the fabric that separated me from nature, but I couldn't make out a silhouette. I clutched the rifle harder, scared as any person would be. I remember... Being sure that I would be safe, though. Even bears will rarely attack camps unprovoked. But that natural human fear, that was overbearing, making my mind wander and my hands shake. Again, the hoof beats. It stopped. Close to my tent, just outside of my tent. I could feel its presence near me. It was totally silent. I knew that it couldn't have been a bear. It would be sniffing the tent right now if it were. I doubted that it was a deer. They don't come out at night. Perhaps a wolf? They normally travel in packs. And even if we were a lone wolf, it wouldn't be a threat until I heard the growling. But nothing, just silence. And then it screeched. That's when I knew that that thing wasn't anything I'd seen before. Nothing makes that sort of sound. It was like a cross between some sort of bird and a human like the shit you hear in movies that's possessed people where their heads on backwards make. That's when I let fear take over, in my bladder and in my hands. I fired the gun in its direction, and dear God, was that a mistake? It screeched again, and it scratched the tent, tearing through the fabric, leaving a massive gash in the side. That was my first look at it. If you could call it a look, I barely saw a silhouette through the hole in my tent, but I did see its long arms shredding the side of the tent. It was trying to get to me. I fired the rifle again, but I must have missed because it didn't flinch. That was when the flight reflex took over the fight and I only wanted to do one thing, run. I turned around and fiddled with the opening of the tent, trying to keep my eye on the beast attacking me, but also trying to secure my escape as fast as I could. I did it and dove out of the tent breaking into a full sprint. Behind me, I heard the thing still tearing into my tent. I thought that maybe it mistook its enemy, or prey, for the tent and not me. But that relief didn't last long. I wasn't far from the tent when I heard its rhythmic prancing again. It was faster than me, gaining on me. If I tried to outrun it, I would surely be caught. Just then, it was either a moment of survivalist brilliance or suicidal stupidity, I stopped and dove into a thick brush near me. I remembered that many predators in the forest rely on seeing movement more than anything else, so if I could stay still, then it would not see me. That decision saved my life. It ran past me, stopping in the same place where I stopped. I didn't notice before I hid, but that spot just under an opening in the trees. A pillar of light penetrated the oppressive dark, and in the moonlight, I could see my assailant it was pale made paler by the white of the moon and hairless thin like it had not eaten in weeks i want to say it looked humanoid but comparing that thing to a human is just wrong it's hunched back protruded out making it look larger than any human it stood on all fours in such a way that no human could its rear low to the ground its long legs bent in such a grotesque fashion that it almost resembled a frog, ready to leap. It circled around, silently searching for me. I thought it was about to give up, but it threw its horrendous back upwards, and its legs straightened and it stood, on two legs like a person, a deformed, horrific human. And then it... it looked at me. It looked right at me. It saw me. I know it saw me. Nothing looks at you like that without seeing you. I could tell you the color of its damn eyes and I bet you that it could tell you the color of mine. I clutched the rifle close to my chest, too scared to use it, too scared to move. I closed my eyes and waited for it to pounce and then I opened my eyes and it was gone. I didn't move for the rest of the night. I fell asleep in that bush, cuddling with the rifle until finally being awoken by the sounds of birds birds, thank God. Birds. It was already daylight the next morning. I wearily stood up, using the rifle as a crutch to support my aching body. Things seemed to be normal. The forest was speaking once again, and birds and deer were plenty. I stumbled back to my camp to find most of my things as I had left them. My tent was unsalvageable, but I took my backpack, had something to eat, and I left just like I had planned. The entire trek back, I didn't stop looking around for that thing. I didn't let the gun leave my hands either. It wasn't until I got to the car that I relaxed, calling my friend to tell him I was heading home. I didn't tell him about what had happened last night. I was still trying to process it myself. Shit, I don't think I understand wholly what had happened until after the car ride home. And that's where the story ends. Six years ago, and I haven't gone camping since. I haven't seen the thing again, nor have I heard of anyone who's seen it. As a whole, my life has moved on completely, but I will never forget that thing. I will never forget how it stared at me, and just how it just left. It knew I was there, but it left. Why did it do that? I don't think I'll ever get an answer.
0: Your next career move could be your best. Verizon Retail is where people learn, grow, and succeed. We offer the potential to earn up to $50,000 annually and amazing benefits that start on day one. Get perks including half off your wireless phone plan, up to $8,000 per year in tuition assistance, and a 401k match to help you reach your goals. Pursue your ambitions today. Learn more and apply at verizon.com forward slash retail careers.